Let me invite you now to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. This morning is actually going to be our last time in Acts for quite some time. Uh, We're going to take the summer off uh, for the next two months. So June and July, we're going to actually go through a handful of different psalms. So I think it would be appropriate for us to just take a break. And so next week, we're going to start with the most Probably the the most popular psalm. What would you guess the most popular psalm is? Psalm 23. So we're going to take a look at that next week. Uh, We're going to get a chance to hear from our elders. And Zach as well is going to be sharing with us. We have a friend, a pastor friend from Gospel City, our sending church, who will be sharing with us in a couple weeks. And so I trust that's going to be a sweet time for our church to gather together around the psalms. That has many things to say to us in many different um, circumstances that we face in life. But for this morning, uh, we are going to be talking about what makes the biggest difference in our Christian life, or rather, who makes the biggest difference. The truth is, the Christian life is impossible on our own, is it not? We are so prone to wonder from God, and our natural, we naturally drift away from Him. You know, the last couple of weeks we have mentioned a decent amount of times about our need for community. But this morning I am talking about someone who is far more important than our community of other people. Of course, what I'm talking about here is our desperate need for the Holy Spirit. And so here's the title this morning if you want to write this down. The Holy Spirit makes a genuine believer. Without the Holy Spirit, we would be left on our own. Without the Spirit, we wouldn't have the ever-present help in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that separates us from the rest of humanity. And it's really the third person of the Trinity that is often least understood and most abused. Yet he is absolutely critical for our Christian life. And so let's jump into the word this morning. Acts 19, I'll start reading in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had 
touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the promised Holy Spirit that you have given your believers, Lord. This is the mark of every genuine believer, the receiving of your Holy Spirit. Father, there are some confusing things that if we're not careful, we can abuse what we see here. And so, God, I pray for clarity. I pray that you would help me to communicate in the way that brings clarity to the text. And, Lord, that you would give us application that we can apply to our lives so that, Lord, when we leave here, we don't walk in the same way that we came walking in, Lord, but we leave changed. And so, Father, we need your spirit to do your work. Unless the work is done in the name of the Lord Jesus, the work is in vain. Lord, unless your spirit comes and enlightens our hearts and opens our eyes, Lord, we waste our time. And so, spirit, come. Move in power. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you recall, last week we were introduced to Apollos, who was a very intelligent man. Now, he was in Ephesus teaching accurately about Jesus, but he didn't have the full picture. And so Aquila and Priscilla came alongside and encouraged them. They pulled him and helped them to see the full picture of who Christ was and what he accomplished on the cross. And in chapter 19 we see a similar scene, although Apollos is exited at this point. Uh, but the, the, there's these other disciples whom Paul runs into. And notice uh, that they actually thought the same thing that Apollos had. They did not have the understanding of what the baptism of Jesus. Look again at verse 3. It says, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. As we discussed last week, that to be baptized in John was to be baptized with the understanding that the Messiah was coming. But what Paul was there to say is like, Jesus already came. Like, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, not in the name of John. Jesus is our hope, and he has come. And so in light of what Paul shared, uh, look at verse 5 again. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So I wish I knew what Paul had said to them. We don't have the full scope here. We don't know the full conversation. We know the basics here. This whole situation brings up some theological questions like, were these disciples genuinely saved? Like, if they didn't have the Spirit, doesn't that mean they weren't saved? They weren't really Christians? I mean, clearly, they were eager and hungry to respond to the message that Paul gave them. At minimum, the Lord was drawing them to himself. You know, I think some things to consider here is that this was the beginning of the church. We cannot look at the book of Acts and declare that this is how life goes from here on out. There are unique things that took place here in this book. First of all, there were so many different crazy false teachers out there. So many different crazy ideas were being taught. And that's why Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla came. Because they helped to straighten out their theology. Straighten out making sure they understood the true gospel of Jesus. Perhaps it was God's grace to wait for the people to receive the Holy Spirit so that they understood the clarity of the gospel. Because if the Holy Spirit came and they weren't believing the true things, what kind of mess could that create? And the crux of the matter here is that the people did eventually receive the Holy Spirit. Thus, our first thing I want you to be aware of this morning, it's this. The Holy Spirit marks the genuine believer. The Holy Spirit marks the genuine believer. How do you know if a person is genuinely saved? That's an important question, wouldn't you say? How do you know that you are saved? We know that we're saved when we realize and understand that we have the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures because I want you to open your Bibles and I want you to know where these verses are. So if you're an underliner, maybe you want to get your pens out. These are some important verses for understand about the Holy Spirit. So turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. Keep your finger here in Acts. We'll be back. But turn to Romans chapter 8. Verse 9 says this. You, however... Are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. How do you know a genuine believer? You know it by whether or not the Holy Spirit dwells within a person. Now turn with me to before Acts 18, 19, into Acts chapter 2. Go all the way back to Acts chapter 2 now. So we see this even in in the book of Acts, this understanding that the Spirit always comes into the life of a believer. Acts 2, verse 38, it says this, And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are converted to Christ We receive the Holy Spirit. It is he who then conforms us into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit changes us to look more and more like Jesus. After all, this is what Jesus said himself when he walked the earth. Turn now to John chapter 16. 
It's the book right before Acts. John chapter 16, we see Jesus speaking these very words as well. John 16 verse 7 says the following. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Did Jesus go? He left. Isn't that a crazy thought, though? Like, wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you think Jesus here would be better? But here's the reality. Jesus here can't be everywhere. Jesus in glory is now able to be with us through his Holy Spirit. Like, and he promises his believers will receive his Holy Spirit. It was God's grace that Jesus died and rose again and returned to his throne so that we would have this helper with us for eternity. And the Holy Spirit is also given to us as a promise. It's a down payment that we will receive this full salvation where every sin will be done away with, every tear will be wiped away. Now turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. You got 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Look what it says there. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And that is not the right verse, is it? We'll forget that one. <laughs> this is what happens sometimes when you prepare. You get right down the wrong reference here. Is it Ephesians? That's it. It's Ephesians. Thank you. Galatians, Ephesians. See, it's good to have Bible people in here. Thank you very much. Ephesians chapter 1. That is it. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You know, one of the great promises that we have is when, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, when we face conviction of sin, when we are confronted by our sin by the Spirit. This is a guarantee. It's a reminder. Every time we sense the Spirit's presence in that way, it's a reminder to us that there's an inheritance coming to you. So the first thing that we need to understand is that the Spirit marks the believer. Now, the way that people receive the Holy Spirit in chapter 19, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's unique. This is not something that is for all of time. There was a lot of false teaching, and Paul and the other disciples were bringing clarity to the true gospel. And so we see a lot of times this waiting for the Holy Spirit. I present to you that I, that I think it was for clarity's sake that it waited. Because they didn't have the full picture I mean, they didn't even know of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself preached of the Holy Spirit. We have the benefit of having the completed word. We can look back at what people say, and we can point to the scriptures and decide whether or not this is true. Right? The scriptures say to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. They didn't have the scriptures like we have. So there's a unique way here. Notice that Paul laid his hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. This is not the pattern today. This is not, hey, Ben, I got saved. Can you lay hands on me so I can receive the Holy Spirit? Praise the Lord. That's not the way it works today. We receive the Holy Spirit upon our conversion. This was a beginning of the church. And there was necessary clarity that needed to take place in order for the disciples 
to understand. Also notice that they were speaking in tongues and prophesying. This is not for everyone. Do the gifts of tongue and prophecy exist today? Maybe. I think in our context, we need to, we need to be careful and we need to point everything back to Scripture. And does it comply with all of Scripture, not just the book of Acts? We call that systematic theology. What things should we think about theologically based on what all Scripture says? Because if you go to different parts of the Bible, you can confuse yourself. It doesn't mean the Scriptures are false. It just means we can twist things because we're good at that, aren't we? For instance, the book of James says faith without works is what? Dead. So if you just take that verse out of context, all of a sudden you think that we're saved by our good works. But we see elsewhere, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. So is James contradicting the rest of Scripture? No, he's not. Because if you say you have faith but there's no works, that means there's no spirit working in your life. So we, don't, we have to be careful here that we don't take Scripture out of context. And remember, why did God give miracles to the disciples to perform? Do you know why? It's because they were affirming, the, it was affirming to the message that they were sharing. It was saying that what the messenger is saying is true and you can believe it because it's backed by these miraculous gifts. So when they were speaking in tongues and prophesying, it was proving that what happened was genuine and true. This is not something that is guaranteed for every believer. We look at the, I don't have time to go through 1 Corinthians 12. I encourage you to look at that. And it specifically says not everybody gets the gift anyway. So even if the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy is true today, it is not for every believer. And so we have to be careful. There are churches out there who say it is for every believer. That is not the case here. So what is the ultimate determining factor that marks a genuine believer? It's the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8 now of Acts, chapter 19. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation... He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. So this is what we've seen all throughout Acts, the disciples preach, some believe, some don't. And notice Paul ended up having to move out of the synagogue to a different location. This is the last time we see in Acts of, of Paul preaching in the synagogue. And so he takes over this borrowed space from Tyrannus. And so actually, you may have this in your scripture in your Bibles, you may have a little side note that says they, they met in Tyrannus' place from between 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. So there's a bit of significance here. This would have been a time frame of like during a, like a siesta. How many of you wish we had siesta here in America? <laughs> in fact, the historians tell us that there were more people sleeping at 1 p.m. than 1 a.m. So this would be not a convenient time to meet. 
This would, this would not be like prime time, like everybody's going to show up because it's easy. This is like rest time. How many of you like, don't mess with my rest time? <laughs> don't mess with nap time. This is for me. But here's the reality. We give attention to the things that we value most, right? And so they gave their lives to preaching the gospel during the time of siesta. When you love the truth and you love God's people, you prioritize what matters most to you. Look at verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Is that not astounding? Imagine if we were able to rally our troops here, that we prayed and asked the Lord that all of Goshen would hear the gospel in the next two years. What could God do through that? Would that not be amazing that we could say, you know what, all of our neighborhoods have heard Jesus being proclaimed? So let me ask you, what is keeping you from praying for your neighborhood, for your office perhaps? Perhaps we could ask the Lord to allow us to share the gospel with all of our neighbors, all of our coworkers in the next couple of years. Who's to say God could not answer that prayer? Who's to say God could not open the door wide open to Brookside right across the street if we only pray and seek the Lord and ask him to do that? Perhaps you have fellow believers in your jobs or in your neighborhoods that we could team up with that might be able to Pray together and see what the Lord would do. Now look again at verse 11. Who was the real power behind the miracles being performed? God. Look what it says. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Again, we just see this over and over and over again in Acts. The apostles want nothing to do with taking credit for what the Lord had done. And so here, it's very clear, this is not Paul doing these miracles. It was God doing them through Paul, and Paul understood that. He was nothing special about him. You don't always see that in today's world in some of these health, wealth, and prosperity churches, do you? Have you ever watched them? There's a lot of self-focus, a lot of self-worship that we see. This is Paul pushing away and pushing the glory to God. And Luke is very clear in understanding where this is coming from. And so here's our... Next point that I want you to be aware of, the Holy Spirit empowers the genuine believer. We're having technology issues, so let me say that again. The Holy Spirit empowers the genuine believer. We see that here in verses 8 through 12. Now, we should not expect, like we see here in verse 12, that handkerchiefs and aprons will have the power to heal the sick and cast out evil spirits. I have literally... So I, I, I go through these moments. Nikki always wonders why I do this. Where I'm turning on the TV and I'm watching some TV evangelists just to see if I can get any truth out of it. And I couldn't believe what I saw this one day. Literally, they were saying, if you send $50 or some amount, I will send you this handkerchief that's been prayed over. Literally abusing what scripture does here. Here's what you have to understand about Ephesus where Paul is preaching. Not only was Ephesus somewhat of a rival to Corinth as far as moral corruption is concerned, 
it was also a center for the practice of sorcery and every form of black art. So the things that they were encountering, uh, they were pretty deep and pretty hardcore. So God is performing miracles through Paul that would bring the attention of the people around them. They'd be very curious. Oh, I would love to see this. Now, I don't know if we would respond the same way today. If all of a sudden we had this handkerchief passing around and all of a sudden the sniffles disappear and broken arms are healed, like we might get a little bit freaked out. But for them, they're like, cool, this is awesome. Paul, Paul, God is beginning in preparing the hearts of the people to hear the gospel in a very profound way here. And the Holy Spirit is the one who empowered Paul to do these things. And the Holy Spirit empowers us. Now, we may not be healers. We may, we may not be speaking in tongues. But there are ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us all. And sometimes I think we want them big, miraculous things. And we miss out on the day-to-day simple things where the Spirit moves. So, let's open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So what, how does the Spirit empower us? What is the difference that we see in our lives? Do not overcomplicate this. Sometimes I think people care more about the crazy miraculous than they do about the daily, daily miracles of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where in the past you might have responded in an explosion, but because of the Spirit working in you, empowering you, somehow you're able to express to them in a way that's loving in a way that's gracious and kind? Have you ever faced heavy, discouraging circumstances, but supernaturally there's this joy even in the sorrow? It doesn't mean the tears don't come. It doesn't mean that you're not sad, but there's this joy that, that, that comes alongside. That is how the Spirit empowers us. Have you ever been caught in sin? And can't seem to find a way out. But then God opens your eyes and exposes your heart to that sin and then frees you from it. John 16, 8 says that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. I mean, what a gift it is. If you are feeling sorrow this morning over your sin, don't let it lead to condemnation. Rather, let it lead you to repentance. Let it lead you back to the gospel. That's the Spirit's empowering. When God doesn't let us get away with our sin, and even though that is hard and painful, that is God's absolute grace in your life. And if you have somebody in your life who helps you to see your sin, praise God for them. That is his Spirit empowering you to live the way God has called you to live. You know, it sometimes astounds me how the world views things that are so blatantly sinful and evil And then shows no shame for it at all. All the while failing to point out the side effects. I think of pornography. How our culture has just accepted it as being okay. And yet how many many marriages are destroyed from that? 
Do you realize that the most brutal crimes that committed by people are usually by people who are deep, deep, deep in the sin of pornography? And yet we just act like it's nothing and we, we wonder how could this be? Oh, by the way, he's addicted to child porn and graphic pornography. We shouldn't be surprised by this. And so I've learned to just understand, praise God for his spirit that protects us from those things. His spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers the genuine believer. Look at verse 13 of Acts chapter 19 again. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they couldn't count the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So as I mentioned earlier, Ephesus was full of magicians, sorcerers who practiced these black arts. It was a very spiritually dark place. And so, of course, we see that what Paul was doing in the name of Jesus, they saw as a way to profit off of it. That's not how it works. Don't you see the humor in this? It's a little bit humorous to me. I find myself chuckling at this. So you, so you have this man who's demon-possessed, and you have these well, there's seven sons who are coming in the name of Jesus trying to exercise this demon. And then he stops and he starts talking to him. And he's like, who? I know Jesus. I've heard of Paul, but who are you? <laughs> and then he overpowers them. And so this one man, demon-possessed, of course, overpowers these seven men. And they leave naked and wounded, all cut up from this demon. Quite humorous to me. You can't fake the Christian life. You can come to church. You could play the part, but ultimately, one day you will be exposed. One day you will be exposed. Jesus isn't some kind of genie in a bottle that you could just whip out whenever you want. Jesus fights for his own people. He isn't just something you add to your spiritual collection like you would a tool. He's not just another tool. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus comes into our lives, he cleans house. Here's the last point for this morning. The Holy Spirit changes the genuine believer. The Holy Spirit changes the genuine believer. Notice here that the people observing are overcome by the true power of Jesus. Power that was much greater than anything they had seen. Look, if they were doing the same thing that the, that the other exorcists were doing, they wouldn't be that impressed. They'd be like, all right. Like, he's cool too. But they renounced everything. Do you see that? They renounced 
everything. You have to feel the weight of this. For years, many of these people made their profit of money by casting out demons and doing these black magic things. This was their only source of income. And not only that, but they had invested so much money to where they were, to get to where they were. Yet, because of the power of the Holy Spirit changing them, they threw it all away. They gave up their main way of making money. They burned every resources that brought them financial support. They were changed forever by the Holy Spirit. And notice the value of what's being thrown here. 50,000 pieces of silver. Some historians have said that amounts to about $7 million. This is a massive, massive Holy Spirit movement. That is giving up a lot. But that's what the Spirit does. When he enters our lives, that conversion, we're not changed in an instant, per se, of everything in our lives. We are changed in an instant for one part, but it takes a lifetime, right, to be conformed to the image of Christ's Son. But yet, don't forget the fact that he does change us. The things that we once approved, the things that we once enjoyed are no longer enjoyable to us anymore. What we once valued is no longer appealing. Have you ever watched a movie that you watched as a kid and you loved it and then you sit down with your kids and you start watching this and you're like, oh my, we're in trouble. And you start asking your parents, why in the world did you let me watch this? Like that's what the Spirit does. Things that we used to enjoy, things that we used to like, we no longer have a taste for. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are a changed people. That's how we know that we have the Holy Spirit. We look different today than we did five years ago. Or whenever God rescued us. And the changing process never stops. We don't ever get to a place where we arrive. I wish. <laughs> you ever had that? You're like, Lord, could I just arrive? And then sometimes you think you've arrived. And then all of a sudden God exposes something horrendous in your life. And you're like, oh, Lord, forgive me to think that I had this all together. And can I just propose that that's God's grace? If God somehow allowed us to arrive here on earth before he takes us home, would that not lead us to great pride? And so when God exposes our sin, don't look at that as evidence that you're a failure. Actually, when we're convicted by sin, that's more evidence that the Holy Spirit probably dwells within you. These exorcists and acts couldn't claim Christ and continue in their sinful practices. They had to give it up. And the Spirit led them to do that. And what a powerful witness. What a powerful witness for brothers that they had been practicing these things for years. All of a sudden throwing it all away. Giving up their way of, li of living in order to follow after Jesus Christ. This was no small thing. And the people took notice, no doubt. You know, as I thought about our culture this week in light of this passage, I... I ask myself, how, how, do we, how does our culture 
really need to see the spirit of God move in his people. And I thought about my sphere of influence. And so here's some things that, that came to mind as I thought about that. How much of our world needs to see genuine love? Not only love that sticks around when things are easy. Not only, not love that quits when it doesn't get its way. Not love that bails when they are sinned against. But love that stays in the game. Love that, love that forgives because it realizes that Jesus forgave them. How could they hold anything against another brother or sister in Christ? Love that forgives not just seven times, but 70 times seven. What difference would it make if we genuinely love those around us, even when they're a mess? Because the reality is we're a mess. Don't you think the Spirit's changing of people would make a difference in the world if we love like Christ has called us to love? What difference would it make for Christians to live in joy? Not a joy based on circumstances. It's easy to be joyful when the bank account's full. It's easy to be joyful when your job's going well, it's providing well, you love the people you work with. It's easy when your marriage is going well, when your kids are doing great. But what happens when you get that call and all of a sudden you find out that your job is no longer there? Your company is folded. You look at the stock market and you're getting ready to retire and you're seeing that number drop. What happens when we get that diagnosis from the doctor that we never thought we'd get or a family member gets? But instead of whining about it, complaining about it, instead of losing heart, what if even in the midst of our sorrow, this is not about not being sad, but rather in the midst of our sadness, having joy, don't you think that makes a difference in our community? Have you been around somebody who you, you feel like there is no reason for you to be hopeful at all, and yet there they are? Some of you here, I look around and I see the faces of people who've been hurt, been stabbed in the back. Some of you have been praying for family members to come to Christ. And instead, you have to wonder if every family event is going to lead into this big blow up because you believe in Jesus and they don't. But when we are Living out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that makes a difference. Don't be looking so much for the extraordinary when the ordinary is going to make all the difference in the world. So this really all leads us to ask ourselves, am I a genuine believer? Do I see the Holy Spirit changing me? Not about perfection, but am I a growing loving person? Am I growing in kindness? Do I live my life of joy or does most of the words that come on my mouth towards people are just complaints or gossip about something? Rather than the fact that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you find peace in the midst of hard circumstances? Are you speaking kindly? No one, no one says that you have to disagree and be angry and mad and nasty about it. I don't see that in Scripture. Actually, the Scripture says be angry and sin not. In those moments, are you able to speak the truth in love? Are these evidences 
of fruit in your life. Perhaps you need to ask those around you to see, is this true for me? Do you see this working? And that's why it's so important to have others in your life because if you're like me, there are days where you feel like, am I there? Then you got other brothers and sisters say, Ben, like, yes, this is the fruit I see. convinced that those around us don't need to see miracles like healings, speaking in tongues and prophesying to bring people to himself. Perhaps he may choose to do that, but living out the fruit of the Spirit will have a massive impact on our communities. The Holy Spirit is the mark of a genuine believer. The Holy Spirit empowers the genuine believer, and the Holy Spirit changes the genuine believer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace, for your mercies. I thank you that you indeed send the Holy Spirit to change us. Lord, I I can't count the number of times where I feel so discouraged. And yet, through your Spirit's work, whether it be in another believer coming to encourage me, through my own reading in Scripture, through prayer, and you reminded me of the truth that I've memorized in Scripture, Lord. You, you are a faithful, gracious, merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Father, you have not left us on our own. I'm grateful for promises like Philippians 1, 6 that says, He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Father, you have every reason to give up on us. And yet you are faithful to your people. Got to pray for those who might be struggling and wrestling through their salvation. God, would this help bring clarity? Whether it be to expose the fact that they've been playing a lie, living a lie. Or Lord, whether give them hope to realize it's not about perfection. It's just about, Lord, being able to see the progress of your spirit's work in our lives. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, Take us from here and show us what we need to see. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And Lord, I pray that I might be true of Elkhart County, that through the faithful proclamation of the gospel by your people here at Gospel Community, that we would have such an amazing impact. And along with the other Bible-believing churches in our area, that we could reach all of Elkhart County, that every person would hear the gospel. So God, keep us faithful. Keep us praying for opportunities. Thank you for your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here's a couple things for you to chew on this week if you want to go a little bit further. I encourage you, memorize Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. I get it right in the, this, but not right in my notes, but that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, actually, no, I got it backwards. This is unbelievable. Memorize Galatians 5, 22 through 24. <laughs> This is how it goes. Thanks for your grace in that. Um, memorize Galatians 5, 22 through 24, just about the fruit of the Spirit. And then I encourage you to take some time to meditate on John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. This is just speaking about the Spirit's work in our lives, what the Spirit does. We read a few verses from that. Just, just to remind yourself of what the Spirit is and what it means for us. And I encourage you this week to take some time to examine your fruits. 
Examine the fruit in your life. Is there genuine fruit of repentance? Do you see God working in the fruit of the Spirit? Are those evident in your life? If they're not, there's some questions that you need to ask. Seek the Lord on God. Give me clarity. Am I just being like legalistic or are there genuine concerns for my salvation? And perhaps you might find yourself encouraged to see the fruit and then making sure that you take the opportunity to praise God for it. Because he, if you remember, who laid out good works for us that we might walk in them, right? And then lastly, pray for gospel opportunities. I mean, that verse just really stuck out to me. It really got me chills. Verse 10 that says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I mean, I'm convicted by this. Like we moved into a new, new neighborhood in December. I'm convicted that I haven't led our family to pray that God would provide gospel opportunities regularly. God provide opportunities. God provide opportunities. And if you're afraid, like if God opens the door, sometimes he tees it up and then he's going he's gonna to speak through you. Like he's, good, he's good with that. So those are some things to chew on for the week. Remember, it's, it's not Ephesians, it's, it's Galatians there. So. Well, let me invite you to stand as I uh, close this in prayer again. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder. I do pray, Lord, remind us that we are the salt and the light. We are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would do miraculous spirit work in our lives. By allowing us to be loving, joyful, gracious, kind, merciful, Lord. That you would allow us to display the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit to the world that desperately needs to see people who are changed. God, keep us from preaching one message and living a completely different life. Expose us. Convict us. Change us, Lord. And I pray for opportunities. I pray that soon, Lord, you would bring people to Christ through the work of your people whom we could baptize and we could celebrate together. Lord, I long to see this church overflowing, not because of other people coming from other churches, but because of faithful ministry by us here, sharing the gospel and then seeing people repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. Father, It's easy to be tempted to want to control our little thing here and keep it small, Lord. But we're just asking that you would bring fruit, Lord. We want to see more genuine worshipers of Christ. So God, give us opportunities this week. Lord, as we enter the mission field, keep us from staying to ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.